So US jobs data on Friday offered more hopes of a soft landing over there. We'll look at the numbers and what it's done to expectations for rises from the Fed. Whilst tomorrow the RBA is expected to be on hold for Philip Lowe's last meeting, then he'll slip quietly away. But does that mean rate hikes are finished? And could we be heading for a soft landing? It's Monday, the 4th of September 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar was on the rise at the end of last week, up 0.6% on Friday, but of course it fell last week, and over the week it was only up 0.2% on the DXY index. Compare that to the Aussie dollar, the standout performer last week, up 0.8% over the week, even though it did fall 0.4% on Friday because of that strength in the US dollar. The euro, meanwhile, uh, down 0.1% over the week. On equity markets, the big win on Friday was actually the CSI 300, which was up 0.7% and 2.2% across the week, and and more money seems to be flooding uh, into the Nikkei as well, which rose 3.4% last week. The Nasdaq also had a good week. It was up 3.25% compared to 2.3% for the ASX 200. And Aussie 10-year yields fell 12 basis points last week, more than twice the fall in US Treasury yields, whereas falls in yields in uh, Europe were pretty marginal, just over one basis point uh, across the week for 10-year gilts and uh, 10-year bunds. But falls last week were much firmer at the front end of the yield curve. So U.S. two-year treasuries fell almost 20 basis points last week, compared to less than six for 10 years. And oil prices shot ahead last week, up 7.2% for WTI over the week. 2.3% of that came on Friday. Brent rose 4.8% over the week, with iron ore 2.1% higher, despite a slight fall on Friday. And look, we had on Friday a mass of data, so let's race through that before we get on to talking about how there's not really much happening today. (laughs) So thank goodness there's lots to talk about about what's just happened. And we've got the RBA tomorrow as well, so we'll touch on that. But let's start on non-farm payrolls with NAB's Ray Atrill in Sydney. And good news, Goldilocks news, even, Ray. I mean, there were more jobs than expected. The average hourly earnings was less than expected. So, you know, put the two together. That We, we can call that a soft landing or an indicator of it, can't we? I think you can. Good morning, Phil. I think if you'd uh, ask Fed Chair Jay Powell or President Biden, for that matter, would you like to write the... Friday's payroll numbers and all the details of them on a piece of paper, and we'll see what we can do at the stats office. I don't think they would have come up with anything uh, more delightful, should I say, than than that. Um, you know, certainly, you know, as you say, overall the data certainly plays in favour of the the soft landing narrative. Um, the reason I say that is because I mean, average hourly earnings down to 0.2%. That's the first time we've seen a 0.2 for over a year. It's been 0.3 or 0.4, but obviously the unemployment rate um, jumping up from 3.5 to 3.8, I think is what caught the market's imagination. Well, that's actually a good sign though, isn't it? If what we've is got a good rising sign? unemployment, but more people with jobs. Well, we've also got a rise in the participation rate. So we've got the highest rate of labour participation since the month that the pandemic started. Now, if more people are joining the labour force than are, are finding jobs, then presumably from a wage inflation point of view, which is obviously one of the Fed's major worries going forward in terms of you know, whether or not service sector inflation in particular is going to come down to be consistent with the 2% inflation target. You know, that clearly is good news. And uh, and the payrolls numbers, a little bit higher than expected at 187,000, but we did have 110,000 worth of downward revisions to the previous two months. And uh, incidentally, that payroll number probably would have been even better, but we had you know, the 47,000 yellow um, truckies, uh, not saying they're yellow, but they work for yellow. They lost their jobs. 
And uh, some of them uh, were um, re-employed elsewhere, but there was a 37,000 drop in uh, trucky employment. And also all of the uh, the writer's strike in, uh, in, in Hollywood is um, depleting more broadly um, jobs in the entertainment sector. So if it hadn't been for that, we would have had even yeah, stronger 17,000 jobs. That's right. So obviously lots of auxiliary, you know, it's not just those writing the scripts. It's, you know, everything hangs off that, doesn't it? So uh, you know, yeah. Hollywood's pretty much shut down at the moment. I mean, um, it's, they, they're such predictable scripts coming out of Hollywood. Surely you could just get AI to do it. Just replace them with a machine. That's I mean, right. you know, if, 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 any job is <laughs> ready to be taken over. But you haven't had the call then from Hollywood to uh, see if you can uh, No, that's why, that's why I'm so bitter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So look, uh, one reason why I guess we're also seeing more people going back into the workforce uh, is because long COVID has, uh, has decreased quite a bit. So if you look at data from the disease control, Centre for Disease Control, uh, so the number of people with long COVID, currently with long COVID, it was 7.5% of the entire population in June 2022. That seems like a lot, doesn't it? And it's down to 5.8% at July this year. Uh, now, it has been a bit lower than that. Then it went back up again. Now it's back down again. But, I mean, that is that that shows COVID is still a factor. And presumably those numbers are going to get down. So that's, you know, if we were looking forward, that's a positive sign that there'll be more people going back into the workforce because they're not quite so sick. Well, that's, that's certainly possible. I hadn't heard that statistic, but it's uh, it's an interesting one. Maybe long COVID isn't quite so long after all. But um, remember, lots has been sort of written and, and, and analysed, you know, since the pandemic about the drop in labour participation and all sorts of reasons, people going back into education people retiring early, uh, et cetera, and, and obviously health issues as well. But, um, you know, maybe that's been a little bit exaggerated. The participation rate, incidentally, was 62.8% of the sort of working age population. Um, just before the pandemic, it was 63.3%. So, uh, to, you know, to your point, you know, if we're going to go straight back to where we were or ultimately back to where we were um, before the pandemic, then there is scope for that participation rate to improve somewhat further, which would also be good news from a in terms of uh, labour market supply de- uh, supply demand imbalances and and how that plays through into wages going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So also soft landing scenario evidence number two. Uh, the ISA manufacturing report for the US on Friday, it's gone from 46.4 in July to 47.6 in August. 47 was the expectation. Obviously, it's still in contraction, uh, but not contracting as uh, as quickly as it as it was. So that's but, good news. Uh, well, yes, it does suggest that you know, maybe we're coming, coming through the worst of the manufacturing downturn, but at, uh, in absolute terms, still deep in recession, just not contracting, as you say, as fast as it was before. And what did catch the market's um, eye there was the, the prices paid compared component uh, jumped yeah. up from 42.6 to 48.4 it was unexpected up at 44 so um we'll talk about so that's not so good news but, uh, but that wasn't good news it's the and same add to that the unemployment numbers as well went from 44.4 to 48.5 so both of those getting close i mean if they did the same thing again they wouldn't be in contraction and we'd have prices and uh, employment mm. both in expansion territory. possibly but let's remember prices paid again sub 50 so it's still saying that you've got um you know outright deflation in manufactured goods just not as much as before. So uh, the other thing I'd say on that, though, is that um, the prices paid on a month-to-month basis is very sensitive to commodity prices. Commodity prices were up during August. And uh, so I think that's, mm. the, that's the real explanation for that uh, that rise. So put the two together, non-farm payrolls and those ISM numbers, which were uh, pretty mixed, really, in that case, weren't they? Because also new orders was well down as well. Uh, so slowing demand. So put all of that together. 
what's the expectation from the Fed later this month and maybe for the rest of the year as well? Has it has it shifted the dial? Well, it has actually. Um, so in a way, it's interesting that uh, the US dollar was stronger Friday and bond yields were high, which we'll come to in a second. But um, yes, yeah. yeah, so we had about a 13% market implied probability of the Fed going on September the 20th, running into the numbers. And I think that's come down to about 7% since then. So And, and yet bond ca- yields rose. And bond yields did rise, which was interesting. So um, so just on the just to cover off on the Fed, I mean, we don't think they're going to go. I think it, we've got CPI coming out next week. So that's probably the main obstacle that stands between uh, now and a no change. So unless we get an absolute shocker there, though, uh, the Fed should be on hold and the market will be comfortable, I think, that they are done. Um, but at the same time, you look at the, you know, look at the overall picture of the economy, as we say, it is Goldilocks and compare it to the rest of the world. And, you know, it's still hard to say, why do I want to get the hell out of the, uh, the US market from an investment point of view? Uh, on a relative basis, it's still an absolute, yeah. and relative basis, it's doing well. And I think that message maybe wasn't lost on the on the on the um, on the FX market at least. But as for the bond market, it was surprising to see that we had a knee jerk uh, rally in bonds. So yields were initially lower, and then within a few hours, we were we were up on the day and actually ended what seven basis points higher on the week. And that seems a little bit curious. I was um, chatting briefly with with Sky, saying you know what went on in the bond market, and, and a couple of things she mentioned. I mean, I think the ISM might have had some impact, although the reaction was already in place before those numbers came out. But um, also, it's a it's a four-day week in the US. They're shut for Labor Day today. There is an anticipation of a lot of corporate bond supply coming through, which will be concertinaed into four days of the week. So, you know, positioning might have been a factor. Bonds have been rallying, you know, off the recent yield highs. And um, so maybe that, you know, the trading market got itself a little bit long. And then, you know, you want to square up and, and, and leave for the exit for a three-day weekend. So I think um, positioning may well have had something to do with it. But if we are going to see a lot of supply, then, you know, investors do, or, you know, or trading desks do hedge that supply, um, you know, via selling um, government bonds. So I think some sort of technical factors, if you like, rather than saying this was the considered sort of response to, to what the payrolls numbers mean for the economy and the Fed. So Canada, uh, it doesn't look like they're going to have a soft landing, does it? More of a hard landing. So GDP was pretty flat for Q2 down 0.2% month on month in June. Uh, Prices have slowed. So, uh, I mean, you know, it's it's having impact what the Bank of Canada is doing, but is it having too much impact? I mean, presumably they're not going to do any more. You know, they'd be happy about prices slowing, I guess. Well, I think so, yeah. But I mean, it was the fact that, you know, that GDP number of what, minus 0.2% um, Q2 mm. at an annualized rate um, is expected to be 1.2. So I think that was where the sort of market reacted. And looking at the pricing for the Bank of Canada, who are meeting on Wednesday, um, you know, the probability of a hike has come into less than 1%. So it looks like they're done at, uh, at 5%. And uh, certainly the Canadian dollar was one of the uh, one of the poor and performing currencies where normally when the US dollar is strengthening, the Canadian dollar actually outperforms, you know, a lot of the other currencies because of its sort of its strong links, obviously, to the U.S. economy. But um, I think the GDP numbers were the overriding factor on Friday. So there's obviously a bit more hope around China as well. I mean, we're seeing oil prices rising. Some of that, of course, will be the storm in Florida. But uh, you know, we we uh, we get the we got the Keijing manufacturing PMI on Friday, which is back into positive territory from 49.2 to 51, which is the highest since February, when we were sort of assuming the bounce back was just beginning, and it wasn't. And uh, you know, a great week for the CSI 300 last week as well. And we get the Keijing services PMI tomorrow, and the, uh, the the trade figures as well on Thursday, and inflation figures next weekend as well. 
So there's a lot going on with China, isn't there? There is. And I think the reason that, uh, you know, the market was buoyed was partly those sort of mild upside surprises on the, uh, you know, on, the, on that manufacturing PMI. But also, you know, on Thursday night, we had had that sort of confirmation that um, the Chinese authorities were um, arm twisting the banks into to lowering mortgage rates for existing borrowers. So normally when, you know, when we get rate cuts coming through in China, um, as far as say, how they impact on, on housing affordability, they only really affect, um, you know, new house purchases. Here we've got an across-the-board reduction. Uh, we also had a lowering of the uh, deposits required for first-home buyers to 20%. So I think that did actually buoy the market as one of the reasons that we saw that uh, CSI uh, outperformance versus all other markets, at least. And uh, and no coincidence, I think you mentioned at the top of the uh, top of the program, Aussie was the best performer. If I look at the dollar renminbi exchange rate, we were trading above 729, close to 730 at the beginning of the week. We came off to about 726. And that relationship between the renminbi and the Aussie and the New Zealand dollar, for that matter, remains pretty strong. So I think that explains why Aussie and Kiwi did as well as they did, even though we did come off a little bit later in the day on Friday. Well, the US is on holiday today for Labor Day, so no bond or equity markets. Uh, It's also apparently uh, National Macadamia Day in the United States, too, as well. So I'm not sure whether that's a high profile enough to show in the Aussie export numbers, but, you know, every little bit helps. the The Aussie macadamia that uh, exporters will feel the, the benefit yeah, of that. Let's hope so. so, yeah. Now, tomorrow, the RBA. So am I right in thinking that the NAB prediction is that they're going to hold tomorrow? I think that's their general expectation, isn't it? But NAB's thinking that they will raise rates at least once this year. So what is the data that we're going to see that's going to surprise people for the RBA to actually want to change direction and pick up again? A lot of people think it's all over Red Rover, don't they? Well, no, they do. But, you know, there are still people thinking that uh, it's possible and we're in that camp and it really is, but we're going to have to wait until we get the, you know, the full Q3 numbers, particularly on uh, on CPI and possibly also the wage price index as well, which won't be out until, um, that won't be out uh, until, so the, sorry, the CPI will be out at the end of, of October, so potentially in time for the November meeting, and the wage price index not out until a month later, which potentially feeds into mm. the December meeting. So, you know, if we do get uncomfortably high numbers there, we still think there's a chance that uh, um, new RBA uh, Governor uh, Michelle Bullock, um, she's not uh, presiding tomorrow, incidentally, this is uh, Phil Lowe's last uh, meeting in the chair, um, you know, might be minded to uh, to steer the board to say, look, I think we need to uh, just tighten the screws a little bit further. So um, so let's see. But as far as tomorrow mm-hmm. is concerned, obviously, we had that um, in a reasonably comforting monthly CPI, even though, as we said, that uh, there were some some quirks in that that probably meant it was not a good reflection of, of underlying inflation pressures. But um, if, if the RBA is looking for reasons to stay on pause, then I think they've, uh, they've certainly had enough of that in the last few weeks. So a confident uh, expectation of no change tomorrow. So okay. some final remarks from Philip Lowe on Thursday. That's actually the title of his speech at the Annika Foundation. So I'm sure it's not going to be particularly juicy because he's such a nice man, isn't he? But, uh, you know, with a name like that, final remarks. I mean, um, you know, the opportunity to say a few things as you're just leaving for the door. Uh, I wonder if we'll get anything uh, particularly juicy coming out I, of that. I suspect not, but uh, but it has been. You know, it, it's, a, it's a charitable foundation that... Uh, that he supported and, and NAB sponsors, incidentally. So, um, you know, we're very proud right. to be associated with that. And, uh, you know, he, the, the governor has always sort of provided some sort of value for money, if you like, in terms of the, uh, 
the remarks that mm. he's made. So, so who knows? But I think we've heard enough in his sort of parliamentary testimonies, etc. And you know, we may well see him sort of saying, "Look, productivity is the biggest single uh, issue confronting um, the Australian economy, about which monetary policy can do very little." So, I think I'll have a little bit of something mm. to say about that at least. But in terms of market moving, I would be, uh, I'd be, I'd be surprised. Well, that's an interesting discussion, isn't it? Just uh, yeah, over to fiscal policy. Uh, which is something we were talking about over the, over the weekend and the weekend edition, of course. Absolutely. Uh, good to talk, Ray. Catch you next time. Thank you. Will do. Thanks, Phil. It's not too late, by the way, to listen to uh, last weekend's weekend edition of The Morning Call or any of the previous ones. Just trawl through the, the list of previous episodes because uh, they're a little less timely than the daily episode and worth a listen, I think. Uh, I'd say that, of course. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 